You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Becky All Daily, presented by BetMGM. Ed Egros, Joe Ostrowski, and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. We will go over today's MLB card uh, in just a bit. But in the meantime, let's bring on Bob Condota from the Seattle Times. Uh, he is here to preview the Seattle Seahawks and the rest of the NFC West. So, Bob, when it comes to Geno Smith, in terms of his overall success from last season, how much of that was just variance? And how much of that was true blue development that we will see again this season? Um, well, that, that's, that's probably uh, you know, sort of the question maybe even the Seahawks are asking a little bit. If you, you know, if you remember the contract that he signed, or, you know, it turned out to be a lot of hedges in there. And it's sort of just a one-year deal. Um, you know, they can get out of it with no guaranteed money after, after this year if they want. So, um, you know, they certainly are hedging their bet a, a, a tiny little bit on Gino. Um, and, you know, they, they, they got off to a 6-3 and three start, and then they finished 3-6, and six, if, you, if you include the playoff game, their last nine games. And, he, and uh, you know, his numbers dipped a little bit, and, you know, the turnovers increased a little bit. So, um, you know, was that, you know, they played the 49ers twice in there, uh, you know, which is, uh, you know, the schedule got a little bit harder um, that second half of the season. But, uh, you know, was that team's catching up to Gino or – um, you know, a little bit of a regression in the mean or what. So, you know, uh, you know they've, they've sort of improved the team around him a little bit by adding Jackson Smith and Jigba, giving him, you know, what appears to be a true legitimate third receiver. The first time the Seahawks have had that in a long time. And, uh, uh, you know, adding a running back and, and doing some things to the offensive line as well. So, um, you know, they're, they're certainly giving, giving him every chance there. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I can answer that question based on anything we see at training camp. But, um, that's certainly what they're, you know, they're certainly hoping that, uh, you know, the Geno of the first, you know, seven or eight games last year in particular is what they sort of see, you know, the whole way through this year. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Excited to catch up with you. I am intrigued by the wide receiver room. You mentioned JSN. Who do you think will be Geno's favorite target or do you expect him to kind of spread the ball around evenly? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think they'll try to spread it around as much as they can. You know, all those guys are a little bit different. Um, you know, you got DK who's so good getting, so good getting deep. Um, you know, you got Tyler who's so good at just sort of getting open near the line of scrimmage, and also, and also such a really good, a really good deep, um, um, deep ball catcher as well. And then you know, Smith and Jigma sort of looks like he's you know some of your prototypical slot receiver. And, um, you know, really good that way. If you watch it, you know, last night, I mean, his first big catch, you know, it was, was, you know, just right out of the slot, just kind of a slam, a slam pass right, right there, throwing it over the middle. That's something the Seahawks have just not had, a, had really. Um, you know, Tyler Lockett just has, uh, you know, has always been so good playing on the outside. And he's been good playing in slot for sure. But, 
Um, you know, I think what they'd like to do is play JSN in the slot and then play Metcalf and Lockett as their two outside guys. And, and then they're just, you know, all three different guys. And so I don't know that you pick a favorite receiver. I think, you know, so much of it's based on what, what opponents do and do they try to take one of those guys out. And, you know, that was sort of what they found a little bit the last couple of years was, especially after DK's first, um, you know, first big year there about two years ago, you know, teams started to pay a lot more attention to him and, and, you know, try to be real physical with him and get him out of his game a little bit and things like that. And, uh, you know, sort of depended at times how DK reacted to that, how, how, um, how you know, what, what way the ball went. So you saw some games, you know, like Tyler Lockett getting 200 yards in a game. And then, um, you know, sometimes then teams try to double, double Tyler. And so the, the DK was left in single coverage. And so they went his way. But what they're hoping is that with JSN, that makes it that much harder to do if you have three legitimate threats. Because, again, Seattle just – They've been trying for quite a while to add a third receiver and done it and tried it in a lot of different ways, and, and it just hasn't really worked out. But, um, you know, I think the hope is this time with JSN, they've really done that. Bob, what about the defensive side of things? It's really uh, why San Francisco has been so successful of late because they've been elite on that side of the ball. And it, it feels like not that long ago when uh, the Seahawks were viewed as an all-time bad pass defense uh, it it really seems like they've turned things around. Do you think that's going to continue? Uh, they're, they're hoping, yeah. I, I mean, the issue last year was their run defense. You know, they were mm-hmm. they were really bad at that. You know, they were almost you know they were one of the best run defense teams in the NFL in 2021. Finished second in the league, and then last year um, completely fell apart and finished 26th. And so. Um, you know, what they did this offseason was completely remake their defensive line. You know, everybody everybody who's a starter now wasn't with the team last year on the defensive line. They gave Draymond Jones $51 million, the most money they've, they've ever given a uh, free agent in the Pete Carroll era. You know, they, they, the Seahawks were sort of notorious for never spending money on, on outside free agents, and um, but they sort of changed that. And, uh, you know, so signing Draymond, I hope he can really be a, be a guy there, bring it back to Aaron Reed, signing Mario Edwards. Um, you know, bringing back Bobby Wagner, signing Devin Bush. I mean, their entire interior of their their defense is completely different than it was a year ago. So they're they're hoping that makes a big difference and and helps out a lot with that. Um, yeah, the secondary you know got a lot better last year with Reek Woolen being added to it, but we've yet to see him. I mean, he had he had arthroscopic surgery in May and it's came off the pup list last week, but it's a little unclear when he's going to be back to full practicing. So. The secondary and, and Jamal Adams isn't back yet either. So, so the secondary still doesn't really look um, what we see on the practice field like I think they are hoping it will look September 10th when they play the Rams. So it's a little hard to assess it yet because it's kind of hard to know exactly who's going to be where when Jamal and, and Reed come back. You assume they're going to be starters, but exactly, you know, if they play the exact same roles they did in the past or do they move them around to different spots, um, it's still a little bit unclear. So. Uh, sort of hard to assess it, but um, certainly I think the pieces are there that once it all comes together, that it should be an improved defense from last year. I don't think it's a hot take to suggest that the NFC West will come down to the Seahawks or the 49ers. If Seattle does win the division, what will they have done to knock off the 49ers? Well, they'll have done that. They'll have played a lot better with their red defense. Um, they just, you know, they just were bad last year on that, you know, losing a game on an 86-yard touchdown run that was just a simple dive play up the middle by Josh Jacobs and, and some things like that. Uh, you know, they just had some really uncharacteristic uh, breakdowns in the run game last year. The 49ers really took advantage of that in, in, in the games that they played against them. Um, you know, the, this, 
specifically in the three games against 49ers, you know, they also had some real turnover issues. Turnovers really um, turned all three of those games around uh, that they played them. But they, it was sort of like a key turnover in each game turned the game the 49ers' way. And then the 49ers just sort of bullied them in the second half of all those games. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, the Seahawks have talked a lot about that, that they just need to be a tougher team this year and, and not let that happen. And, uh, you know, and then uh, they're going to hope they have a big edge at quarterback, you know, that uh, really knows exactly what the 49ers quarterback situation is going to end up looking like. But, uh, um, you know, they're, they're hoping that, that that will make a big difference. But, you know, improving the run defense is really probably the number one thing from a, you know, from a defensive standpoint. And then just kind of limiting – the Seahawks didn't have an absurd amount of turnovers last year, but it's, they, they all – so many of them seem to come at really key times. And all their losses, it was almost like, you know, you just pointed to – to one turnover here, here or there that turned the game around. And that was pretty, that's pretty uncharacteristic of Pete Carroll teams. If you go back to the, you know, the really good teams they had, it was always sort of the other way that they really took advantage of, of turnovers, turning the game their way. So, um, you know, why that was, if it was just kind of a fluky thing and, and one of those things, sometimes that is the case with turnovers. They tend to not be something that go the same way year after year after year. But, um, you know, that's another thing they'll really have to cut down. Bob, you know, they went nine and eight last year. Their win totals eight and a half. I know we've been high on the Seahawks. We, we like to say we're a Seahawks show. Uh, some people do think, though, that Geno Smith and the Seahawks could be due for some regression. What are you expecting overall? Well, again, yeah, you, know, you, you sort of saw that a little bit last year, right? I mean, they were kind of the, you know, when they went to Munich for that game against Tampa Bay, they were sort of the talk of the NFL. They were six and three. And, you know, I can remember over there, people were sort of, um, you know, really, really lauding them. And if they'd won that game, you know, they were going to have their bye and they'd have a couple game lead on the division. And it sort of looked like it was all going to be there for the taking. And then they, they sort of lost that game in the way that became the norm that they lost games the rest of the season by letting Tampa Bay run for a ton of yards. And, and Gino had a, had a, had a really costly turnover in the second half when they were just about to score a touchdown. And, uh, but, you know, it just kind of seemed like that happened in a lot of their, a lot of their losses the rest of the way. And, you know, especially the run, the run defense stuff. I mean, you know, it, it obviously just kind of became a, became a week after week thing. Um, again, as I just mentioned, it's, it's hard to sort of assess, assess exactly if they're going to be better there. Cause you know, you're not going to see anything in the preseason. None of those guys played last night that they, that they picked up there. So, um, you know, we're going to go, everybody's going to go out a little bit of faith that the, that the run defense stuff is going to have gotten fixed with the rooms, uh, boots that they've made. If it hasn't, then, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that, that, that they, that they could regress a little bit or, or, you know, nine and eight, not, you know, that's not going 13 and, you know, uh, four or whatever. So I don't know how, you know, I don't know how much you would regress from that. I, I, I feel like that's a good baseline of where they are. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect them to regress from nine and eight. The question is, can they take that next step and, and get to 11 or 12 wins and actually win the division? That's, I think that's the question. And I, I think that's, the, you know, to me, that's the fairer question is have they made the moves and, you know, and will the things that they hope will improve either through experience or just the moves that they've made, allow them to win those two or three extra games that you, that you need to do to win the division and get home field in the playoffs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Bob, did anyone there uh, think that it was going to go that poorly? Or maybe there there were some ideas that, hey, Russell Wilson, it, it might, it, it's time. They, they timed this perfectly where he could go through some struggles. And what was what was the reaction as that was going on? Nobody, thought, it, nobody anywhere could have ever thought it was going to go that bad. So, um, you mm-hmm. know, they, in, in their heart of hearts, they, they wouldn't ever say that they knew that was going to happen. But for sure, I mean, he's, you know, he was older and, and suddenly getting injury and suddenly getting hurt. And, you know, so, yeah, they, they did think that could happen. Um, you know, uh, Russell's game obviously was predicated so much on his, his mobility, his ability to move around and make plays with his legs. And that doesn't get better as you get older. <laughs> you know, it's just a human fact of life that you, you slow down a little bit as you get older. And so, you know, with him kind of reaching his mid-30s now, uh, you know, they did. there was always that question of how well – I mean, the Seahawks weren't the only ones that asked that. There's 8 million stories out there <laughs> written by people uh, kind of wondering how long would Russell's game – would Russell be able to sort of play that same style and what would happen when he became just more of a pocket quarterback. Um, you know, there were some – promising results obviously in that regard you know uh, his last couple years with the Seahawks when he did become more of a pocket quarterback and especially in the 2021 season I guess it was when he got off to that you know incredible start that he had you sort of you sort of thought okay maybe he really can sort of transition a little bit as his game is going to be forced to change some but um, you know his last year with the Seahawks was you know it was a little more mixed they obviously had a losing season he missed he missed some games with injury for the first time um, you know, he battled some other stuff his last couple of years injury-wise as well, um, you know, just kind of nagging stuff. And so, you know, I, I think it was more that. It wasn't that, wow, Russell's really going to crater. It was more that it was more that just are we beginning to see a uh, little bit of decline. That said, if it hadn't been for, you know, all the other stuff that crept up, they never would have traded him. I mean, this wasn't, you know, they just decided Russell's not going to be good anymore. We're going to get rid of him. Russell wanted out. So, um, yeah. you know, you, you had a guy that, that – that didn't want to play for you anymore. So once that happens, you you have to you have to do you know you have to do what you can. And so certainly they had to kind of have that faith that well Russell wants out, so we're going to think you know we're going to think the best of this and and hope that we can make the right move and make this work because you know we don't really have a choice here. But uh, um, you know so you know if if all had been perfect, Russell'd still be here. You know, they they never would have just looked up and traded him. But, you know, again, Russell forced the trade. So um you know, so once he forced the trade then then yeah, they're gonna go uh, they're gonna go, yeah, we think Russell's on the decline and this is how we sell it to everybody. Bob, I mean, when you heard about the entourage, his office, all this stuff in Denver, like, were you laughing? Were were you not surprised? Tell us a little bit about the rust that you saw there in Seattle. Well, I, to be fair to Russell, um, you know, one thing I always laughed at was the thing about parking spots. Everybody, everybody in NFL has <laughs> parking spots. You know, the guys they sign the first day, they, they, you know, every all ninety players have parking spots. The mascot has a parking spot. I mean, that's how you know NFL teams work. You don't want you don't want the people who have to come to work be be uh, driving around for ten minutes in the in the lot trying to find a parking spot. So, um, you know. Uh, and then, uh, you know, but many NFL quarterbacks have offices. That's that's not completely unique either. Um, you know, so I, I, I never thought much of that stuff. Uh, Russell was very open about the entourage that he has. You know, he, he would talk all the time. Every, you know, every Thursday press conference he did, he would talk about, uh, 
you know, his trainer or, or his chef or the different people that, that do things for him. He would all, you know, he would always kind of roll off this name of people who were with him. So, um, you know, that shouldn't have necessarily been a surprise to anybody. I guess the question is whether, you know, did that stuff create a little bit of a, um, of a separation maybe from Russell of the coaching staff or Russell of the rest of the team that, that, that created some walls there. Um, you know, again, Russell in Seattle, I never thought any, any of that stuff impacted much of anything. I mean, midway through what was, you know, his second to last year in Seattle, he was playing at an MVP level and he was on his way to have the best, best passing season in, in, in team history. And then, you know, a, a few other things just kind of on field things began to cre- creep up and, and the way that Pete wanted to, Pete Carroll wanted to play change, uh, you know, kind of shifted a little bit offensively and that sort of created a little bit of a rift and, you know, there were just some things like that. I think, I think Russell just became a guy who, you know, maybe the grass is greener somewhere else and, and, and all that. So, um, but I, I'm not one who thinks all that other stuff matters as much as everybody else does. I, I think it's more the practical stuff. If you got a guy that's 35 years old and started to uh, suffer some injuries and, and can't play quite the way in the same manner that he had before and has to adjust to that a little bit. You know, you don't see Russell being able necessarily to make some of those spin moves away from the, def- uh, you know, 300 pound defensive ends anymore. He gets, he gets caught a little more uh, by those guys than he used to. So I think it's just more the practical on field stuff. And, and, you know, to me, that would be, you know, slightly more worrisome if you're, if you're Denver, because you can't change that. You can go ahead and say, yeah, you can't bring your quarterback coach in the office anymore and hope that fixes anything. But I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be that simple. Good stuff. Bob Condota of the Seattle Times, thank you so much for your time and your insights. We greatly appreciate it. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, we will get to today's MLB card right here on the BetQL Network.